if you're like me, you want to get your business ahead, but there's certain skills you need, but you just don't have. If this sounds like you, then you need to head over to Fiverr. They have a whole array of professionals that can help you in different areas from design to writing, marketing, and more. They have you covered. I seriously can't tell you how much Fiverr.com has helped me along with this podcast. Um, I've used them so much for this podcast. It's been unreal. They make my flyers. They go ahead and um, I hired this guy to help me upload the each episode and in the beginning in order for me to be all over the place it was I was totally going on Fiverr it was I seriously just it's I've gotten so much for my business through them so please use my link which you can find in the description of this episode or you can go to marcellaalonzo.com and book there through Fiverr today you'll be glad you did hello my my name is Marcella Alonzo and welcome to Get Schooled. Today I have a very special guest. We have a very interesting way we met. Um, yes. <laughs> and uh, we had a very, very interesting way we have met, but introducing, uh, I want to say uh, Sex Noir. Did I say yeah. that correctly? Yeah. I said that correctly? Well, it's so my name is SX Noir. Um, and, but it is sex noir. I took the E out of sex because of censorship. So it started off as sex noir. Um, but then when I was like online and using my name, I was like, Elise, you can't say SX noir. My actual name's Elise, but you can't say SX noir. And so the reason why I use that name is because at the time, you know, I was working like in, um, activism and working in different spaces around sex work and I needed an alias. And so now I use my, like both my names because I was doxed and outed so now i use both my names but uh before i use sx noir so it's right sex noir okay okay yeah (laughs) well thank you for coming on and i listened to all your podcasts a very weird way we met through your dog he was so cute um at an event and then i saw you again and then i discovered uh because this was weird i went on your ig and i was looking for your dog (laughs) like it's yeah um uh, and um and then I saw that you had a podcast and I had a trip and I said, let me go listen to all her episodes. And it was absolutely amazing. You are mm. the uh, pod. You have a podcast called Thought Leader. Yes. Um, and I loved it. It was I listened like straight through from my drive from Florida to New York. I listened to it and I was like, oh, my gosh, I got to have her on. So you're a sex work activist. How did you get started becoming an activist? Share with me your story. Yeah. So um, I began doing sex worker activism in 2018 um, when I moved to New York City. So essentially, I've been in the sex industry as a whole, you know, um, working very closely with like sexuality. And I was in school in London uh, in 2016, 2017. And they were like, girl, you got to get out of London because your visa is up. And I was like, okay. So I was like, where did I go? And of course I come to New York City. And I have a lot of friends that are sex workers and in the sex industry as well. And I realized there's so much discrimination against sex workers in digital spaces. So, you know, I'd be working with my girlfriends and they'd be like, oh, I got banned from Airbnb because of my email. Or, you know, I can't use certain platforms like Instagram 
Instagram, uh, Twitter's fine, but like Instagram and um, Facebook and things of that nature because they work in the sex industry and they can't advertise, they can't, they have censorship, they get shadow banned. And so I'm, I'm noticing these patterns um, of behavior online. And this was, I started doing activism before Fosta Sesta. Um, and so I work um, in the industry of sex and tech. And so I began getting very vocal around um, how these digital discriminations intersect with the sex industry. Um, and this is even counts for educators. This counts for anyone who is, you know, just talking around sexuality. And so what happened was in 2018, it really popped off because of FOSTA SESTA. And sex workers were like, you guys, this is happening. FOSTA-SESTA is um, Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act, and SESTA is Stop Enabling S-E-S-T-A Trafficking Act. Um, so they're, you know, together. And so basically what this was, was it was legislation that said that you websites are accountable for what's posted on their website around sex work. And so if you're like, what the hell does that mean? Basically like on Craigslist, if someone put up an ad for sex work in the past, it was kind of like that person couldn't post anymore or like that post got taken down. And then the government said, actually, this is an amendment to section 230, which means that uh, companies are now held liable for what's posted on their website. And what that did was in, in theory, they were like, oh, it's protecting um, sex trafficking victims and the children. And, oh, you know, um, it's basically eradicating sex online. But what it ended up doing was targeting sex workers and the platforms that they needed to survive as far as advertising platforms, as far as bad client lists. And so it was a really devastating legislation that happened under Trump. And so, you know, sex workers were like, yo, like, please, 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 like, don't pass this. Talk to your legislators. And people, what ended up happening was that if something comes across your desk as a politician or, you know, someone who is in charge of legislation and it says protect the children, you know, of course you're going to vote for to protect the children. Um, but that's just another method of manipulation and psychological manipula manipulation to, um, you know, pass a law that actually hurts sex workers. Right. And so my activism began around that conversation. Um, and it really was right on par with me talking about the intersection of sex work and sex tech. So that's kind of the beginning of my career was, um, just talking about this and being really, really vocal, um, around the discrimination that sex workers face. And a lot of my friends were just dealing with things that I'm like, this isn't fair. Um, it's not right. And so I just, yeah, that's kind of how my activism started. Um, and so I began um, just talking about it in a lot of different spaces, doing public panels about it and things like that. And a lot of new baby sex workers that are coming on, they don't realize when they lose their IG, when they lose, you know, different social media platform where it stemmed and how it started. And it was because of Foster Sesta. I have to remind people, you know, when people are like, oh, they don't like us. They just shut down my IG or this. I have to remind them it was because of Foster Sesta. And there was a lot of yeah. fear. Remember, there was a lot of fear at that time. The, uh, the articles like on Facebook where people, I'm laughing because I saw a TikTok where a woman was making fun of a woman on a Facebook group scared of sex trafficking, you know, in a, in a Walmart. And that, that was, it was made up. It started doing a lot of fear mongering. I mean, yeah. So we, yeah, we see this all the time. Right. Um, and 
you know, what ends up happening is so jumping back to your first point around Instagram. And Mm -hmm. so Instagram has always had pretty, Facebook has always had pretty strict terms of services as far as like sexuality, right? So it's always kind of had this thing of like no sex allowed. But what FOSTA SESTA did was it just enabled them to take more action against sex accounts. So sex workers and different people on Instagram have been shadow banned. And shadow banning is when essentially you don't come up in searches, um, your your posts are pushed down on the timeline. um, And so it reaches a lot less of your followers and reaches less of the public. You're not eligible to be on the discovery page, et cetera. That's what shadow banning is. And so accounts had been shadow banned, um, but they took it further with account deletions post-FOSTA-SESTA. So I think that's an important distinction to make because some people are like, it's all FOSTA-SESTA. Like it's not completely, but what it did was it enabled and gave the power to these platforms to just take you down, uh, give you no explanation uh, and things of that nature. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty messed up. And so I think the second point you were talking about was what did what did you say like the fear oh. um that they put fear into a lot of people yeah the fear mongering they did put that into a lot of people that weren't sex workers and they started believing like don't go to ikea there's a white van that's going to kidnap you or um there was another post that i saw where a woman she made up that a couple a hispanic couple was going to steal her child and they, they and she made a false report police report like people started you know this it started turning into agenda where people want to kidnap their children or people want to kidnap women and that's not the case no i mean fear-mongering around trafficking is yeah. something that is as has existed for a, a long time and digital spaces don't necessarily help i mean we saw the QAnon phenomenon around you know child trafficking and the pizza yeah. man is trying to you know do this and do that and wayfair like you know, you're ordering children off of Wayfair, things of that nature. And, you know, two points to make is one, trafficking does not often happen being snatched off the street. Okay. Uh, That's just, that's just actually not, I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it does. Mm -hmm. That's not commonly how it happens. Commonly how trafficking happens is with someone that, you know, Um, it happens like within the home, it happens around, you know, the community of people. And so it can start as simple as, you know, oh, well, you know, Hey, um, so-and-so wants to do this. Do you want to make some money? And it tends to happen when there's like a trust relationship between one or two people. Right. Um, And especially around child trafficking. And so it's, it's not, no one's trying to snatch your kid in Walmart. You know, no one's trying to do that. It's often time starting with people um, that are familiar with each other. And that's also a very scary part, Um, but that's important to a distinction to make. Mm, yeah sex workers and sex workers are against trafficking no no sex worker wants people to be trafficked right yeah and so we have like this circle of 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 the sex trade that we talk about right and there's three different uh aspects to it choice coercion and circumstance and so obviously we all want to have choice right we want people to be able to decide hi i'm going into doing the sex trade that's what we call it the sex trade um, and then we have coercion, which is what nobody wants, which is, means you're being coerced into doing sex, uh, the sex trade. Um, and that is um, sex trafficking, right? You're being coerced or there's there's a lack of agency that comes with that. And then mm-hmm. the, last, um, the last one is circumstance, right? And so circumstance can be a lot of different things. It can be you're going through nursing school and you want to pay for it. It can be, I need to buy my child diapers. It can be um, so many different things. And like, there's so, a lot of stigma around the, the conversation of circumstance because people want your circumstance to be something like, especially if you're a woman of like, 
I'm paying for school or, you know, I'm doing this. And oftentimes it means that you just don't have the means to get a regular job or you're not making enough in a regular job. You don't have as many opportunities. Um, Maybe you're disabled. Maybe uh, you're navigating being transgender and you get discriminated against at work. You know, there's a lot of different reasons why people can have circumstances for doing sex work. Um, And so those are the three, those are the, 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 the roundabout thing, right, that we kind of talk about. Um, and that helps people understand the different aspects of the sex trade. And it also helps people understand how sex trafficking fits into the conversation of the sex trade as a whole and how we can actively fight against that. Um, so that's, a re- that's really important to understand that no one in sex work wants people to be sex trafficked. Right. Period. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, I, yeah, no one. And, and, all the years that I have been in the business, I have never seen anybody. I have personally never witnessed anybody being forced that didn't want to be in the business. That's what I've always, you know. Yeah. And, and you know, I, something about this that's, and this is like, again, conversation around circumstance versus coercion, right? Like the, mm-hmm. it can be a little bit of a fine line depending on what kind of sex work you're doing. Um, and I say that because, there's a lot of us, I don't like to use the word privileged sex worker. I personally, I don't believe that that's something that exists. Um, As in like, I think every sex worker is navigating danger and navigating something um, that can be harmful against them. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, in, in reality, there's different levels of sex work, right? So if you're like a street-based walker, um, street-based worker versus someone who's doing, turning tricks in the Carlisle, you know, that's two different conversations of, of, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, circumstance and choice. Right. And so there are people who are like street-based workers who are, you know, um, not necessarily forced, but the dynamics in their life, they can be a hard pattern to break doing this kind of work, right? And so I think that the quote-unquote privileged sex workers do need to consider, um, do need to consider the other components or other kind of people who are who are doing it right like for example you could be an immigrant who kind of has no other choice uh yeah. to do um but to do sex work and so something that i also like to d- uh, make a point of is that fosta sesta actually did not impact street-based workers as much as it impacted other workers who had digital um resources. And so I say that kind of like, if you're a street-based worker, you know, you're walking, you know, you're walking the, the, um, I forgot what it's called. The the track. You're walking the track, you know, you're walking whatever. And so you might not have online advertisements. You might not even have a cell phone. You might not have any, um, resources to, um, navigate harm reduction, um, things of that nature versus if you were someone who was a, in, 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 um, housed, um, in like in, um, a not on not walking the streets you might be able to put up an ad on back page r.i.p back page you might be able to put up an advertisement um and navigate bad client sites and so that's really who was impacted most by fosta sesta um and so that's something that a lot of people don't think about because they don't think about sex work outside of the work that they specifically do um if that makes sense yeah where i used to live in la i did notice that was something different compared to what i used to use there um live there there are a lot of girl. a friend of mine told me this, there's a lot of girls now working Figueroa Street now more than ever. It's even, if you look up, um, you can even find it like on different social media sites. And I, when I lived there back, because I moved 
back to LA 20, I mean, I moved to New York 2019, but before that, before FOSTA-SESTA, they really, they were out there, but it wasn't so many. But now, from what I'm hearing, there's a ton. So FOSTA-SESTA really did affect people they don't realize. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it took away ways for people to advertise. Like Backpage, honey. Um, Backpage, you used to be able to post an ad that day and make rent that night, okay? Like there were definitely different, you know, <laughs> platforms because now it's actually very expensive to advertise on some of these websites, you know, and it's inaccessible to certain people. And so, yeah, you're right. There was a direct correlation uh, between people um, not being able to advertise and do things online that ended up doing street-based work um, or, you know, going to find clients in person in a way that they haven't done before. And that's something that was really dangerous around FOSTA-SESTA that uh, people didn't direct that, understand that direct pipeline. And mm-hmm. it actually pushed sex work underground more. Um, it pushed sex workers to be on the street. Uh, and that's a really dangerous and, outcome that happened from FOSTA-SESTA. And I'm finding that there's less education now too. There used to be sites. I remember they did shut down mm-hmm. Stripper Web and Stripper Web was a great resource. I remember using it. That's how I discovered about camming um but there's a lot of sites that just gave out information and taught etiquette and now those sites are I see a lot of women doing dangerous things now I've had to like get on the phone with certain sex workers and been like hey you know just hear me out right now because it was be a safety issue and I would say you know be careful about this. And um, all those resources were very much, not just showed etiquette, but it helped safety. And those were also, they're, you know, now they're, they're not even existing for sex work. It's it's very sad. A hundred percent. And like, you know, um, harm reduction is something that's really important in sex work. And, you know, harm reduction is anything that again, reduces harm, right. And, Mm -hmm. and community and sharing information is a major way to share, um, produce harm. And so that can be anything between sharing bad clients. That can be anything between like being in certain cities when you're traveling and saying, Hey, watch out for this. Hey, watch out for that. Um, And what happened is when you can't navigate harm reduction, like you said, you're being put in more unsafe situations. And there's certain people who are doing sex work who don't have the privilege to say no, um, who don't have the privilege to turn down a client. And, and so, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of disruption in that. And then also like, basically there are certain platforms that just started excluding that conversation around sexuality. So like, People were taking down their Instagram accounts. People were taking down posts on Craigslist and different things like that, um, mm-hmm. that traditional, I mean, that previously allowed it. Um, and so again, it's, it's, it's really, it's really upsetting um, because since we live in the digital age, you know, that is how a lot of people find information and found things like yeah. um, word of mouth is very important, but like digital space was a major thing, especially for like the new, the quote unquote new generation of sex workers that come. And um, there's also a lot of harm reduction around digital work that's important to share as well, yes. um, around privacy, around security, around encryption, around all these kind of things too. So when you take down these resources, people are um, putting themselves in harm way that they kind of don't even realize or understand. And it's 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 a post face open, you know, face forward um, mm-hmm. industry now where it's like you know women have their faces out online. Um, and so there's different harms that can come with that too. Right. So right. Which, which I remember like, uh, now I think some of the sites girl, people have to show their face and things are more dangerous, which brings me to, uh, 
what Ashton Kutcher was involved with that. Uh, you read the art. You were talking about this article before. He is uh, explain this for me because you you read the article. So yes, and so those listening, uh, don't quote me on any of this. This is okay. just what I this is what I've taken and understood. Okay. So uh, just a I'm very there. disappointed with Ashton Kutcher. Yeah. And very very disappointed. So. Yeah. So, you know, so Ashton Kutcher has um, an organization called Thorn, and Thorn is basically fighting sex trafficking of children. Um, and so what it does is it actually is like a surveillance data platform that works with cops, essentially, which we all know is very harmful to sex workers for many reasons. Mm-hmm. And so what ends up happening is you have these celebrities, these uh, typically white savior type celebrities, mm-hmm. like, um, gosh, what was her name? Um Amy Schumer, um, um, Amy Schumer, Seth, Seth, Seth Meyers, his wife, who's an attorney. I think she was doing something too. Um, um, there's oh Ashley Judd. That's actually talking about oh, how yeah. I got into talking about how I get to, into activism. A little bit of a rewind. I protested against Ashley Judd for some of her. Um, Wait a minute. Were you you were the one? I think I saw a video. Now it's like yeah. clicking. That was you. Yeah. Oh my god. That was me against Ashley Judd. Yeah. And I was very vocal about, you know, some of the things that she said, like sex workers are just selling their orifices and cash is coercion. Um, so there's this this um history of Hollywood white saviors who want to save the children and want to save sex trafficking. Um, and typically, you know, so what ended up happening with Ashton Kutcher is um, he created this organization, right? And this organization, the leaders in it are not exactly people who have not only been, act- who have been impacted by sex trafficking, but haven't even worked in anything around sex trafficking. Uh, and so what you have is like these kind of PR type people, these media type people who are saying, we have to save the children, we have to save the children. And it's this confusion with philanthropy um, that they have. And so Ashton Kutcher came under fire. People started investigating this organization more because of what ended up happening with his co-star on this that 70s show uh, and the rape allegations, or actually not allegations, it's actually true. He got 30 years behind bars for it. Um, and him and Mila Kunis, his wife, and sent a letter of support to the to the judge. So that's kind of how it opened up this conversation of like, okay, well, who is Ashton Kutcher and how, what is he doing? And this is a problem because what it ends up doing is it ends up surveilling sex workers um, and, and, and inviting police involvement within sex work. Uh, and we all know that that's very dangerous for many reasons. And it's why we're fighting for decriminalization of sex work versus legalization of sex work. So Ashton Kutcher, it's this article on The Cut. Um, it's actually a pretty good... Uh, article um around kind of these these issues of these uh saviors trying to come in and save the children when mm-hmm. in reality it's again like i said before in the interview uh previously it's it's manipulation um it's kind of this like fear-mongering manipulation platform and you know he's like oh i'm retired from acting and now i save the children and it's very much like a PR stunt. Um, and it's, and it's really, mm. disheart- and it's really disheartening. Who yeah. is, who is getting them involved? Do you think, would it be the, their publicists or they're just, because they're basically a lot of these celebrities are, they've had no, they have no clue what's going on and they don't no. have, it's sort of like me all of a sudden fighting a prostate cancer. I'm just throwing yeah. out an example. Like I know no, nothing. Literally. I don't have balls. I don't know what's going on, but that's what they're doing. They're getting behind something without fully researching. And again, so it's just, why would they be 
interested or involved. It's just, that's what. Yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, for example, like Ashley Judge, she does a lot of humanitarian work. And so mm-hmm. not everything, she does a lot of phenomenal incredible work right Mm -hmm. um and you know people like you know ashton kutcher and things like that they want to do good i i truly believe that they want to Mm. do good and make an impact but because they're not people fully researchers yeah or they're not they're just simply not in the um in that world they can cause a lot more harm than they can cause good because they think that they're helping but they're not actually listening to the people who are being impacted and and like i said before this save the children save the children right, right is used as a morality tactic to get access to some of these um things like um surveillance like data um to use it and and inevitably sex workers are collateral damage to these kind of these organizations and these conversations and most of the time it is a huge conflation between sex work and sex trafficking and they spread this idea this com this conversation that all sex work is trafficking uh and that's simply not true and so treating it as if it is is a, a major disservice and also again it can put sex workers in violent situations yeah yeah no it, it puts them in yeah. sex workers in bad situation where they could lose housing they could lose children they could lose they don't know what they're getting involved so you came up with the podcast thought leader can you share more information and what brought because it was it was really good to listen it was right up my alley it was very well done so what brought you to thank come, you come up with your podcast and and how is this process going so far for you? Yeah, so um, I have a podcast called Thought Leader. Uh, mm-hmm. And thought leaders are simply anyone who is pushing um, boundaries and um, leading innovation, right? And so it does have to do with sexuality because it's called Thought, T-H-O-T, leader. Uh, and the conversation being, you know, just people who are leading that, who are leading the cutting edge around these topics, specifically around sex positivity. So I started uh, my podcast in 2020. That's when the first season came out. Um, And I just interviewed um, industry leaders who are predominantly based here in New York City. Um, And I came out with that season. And then I came out with another season about a year later. Um, And then I came out with my third season this year, um, because I um, was fortunate enough to find an investor who started investing investing in me around the the podcast and so this season I had it was a higher production value and just kind of I think more um engaging conversations so I started the podcast because one I really love to the podcast aims to destigmatize and demystify conversations in sex culture and tech mm-hmm. um and so the inspiration behind it was expanding on some of these conversations that intersected sex and tech um and I think the best learning tool is conversation and talking to people. And I just really, really enjoyed that. And I'm a talker, as you guys can tell, like I'm a talker. I love to conversate. Mm -hmm. Sorry, it was a little bit of a thing. Uh, Conversate and get knowledge from the people who are actually navigating these industries. And so my my podcast is guest focused. So I like to interview the guests in their journey within their work. Um, And so I interview based off many different topics, some of those including porn, artificial intelligence, NFTs, crypto, drug therapy, sex toys, um, sex uh, dating apps, things of that nature. So some obvious ones like sex toys and dating apps and some not obvious ones like crypto NFTs, artificial intelligence, things of that nature. So, um, you know, I really love to 
inform people about sex and tech because they go what the hell is sex and tech what are you talking about and then you start talking about it and people are like oh actually i know so much sex and tech and so it's destigmatizing it because there's a lot of stigma with the conversation around sexuality mm-hmm. um and then there's a lot of mystery like people are kind of like you know it's a taboo subject still people aren't very forthcoming with co- talking about sex and so i wanted to make something that was entertaining and educational and so that started in 2020 um so i've had three seasons so far and i'm working on the next season that's kind of come out before the end of the year Mm. so tell us the work with the crypto what um i think Mm -hmm. one site that i was using god i can't even think of it went under um i can't think of it right now but uh share with us about the crypto what you're explaining because that's kind of new for me because i've heard i've heard Mm -hmm. of different like crypto companies and then i've i've honestly been hesitant about a lot of them just because i've yeah so there's a lot of sex workers uh Mm -hmm. like anything else that is digital or you know innovating digital spaces there's a lot of sex workers who use crypto um and there's a lot of reasons why that can be because of anonymity that can be because of um banking discrimination and things of like that that people that sex workers might use crypto uh and as you kind of were um alluding to there are um because of, you know, because of things like Foster Sester, there are right. advertising platforms that use crypto. So there's like massage parlor um, advertising sites that use crypto. Um, there's adver- like um, that accepted, I think like Trist accepts crypto now. Yes. Um, so Arrows like accepts Arrows accepts crypto. Okay. Yeah, so. that, that crazy damn site. Yeah. Arrows accepts <laughs> crypto now. Jesus fucking Christ. Um, expensive, expensive. Uh, oh, and that's what people site. don't understand because I was telling a male um, friend, a friend of mine that's a male because they, they have sites that are men for men. And they're, I've noticed this, they're way easier, the ones for men for men. But for women for men or, you know, anybody that's trans for men, it's a it's a pain. What? Oh, like, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's um, not even. You know, banking discrimination is a major reason for this, and um, you know, morality. This morality judgment around how people make their money and what they do with their bodies is a huge impact of why people experience banking discrimination. Mm-hmm. You know, Mastercard stopped working with Pornhub and things like that. So, crypto um, is a subset of blockchain technology, and so um, blockchain technology is basically a decentralized ledger. Um, and we saw this come on the scene in 2018 um, when, like, all these, um, like the um what was it like the the mortgages and stuff like that mm-hmm. like the housing yeah. prices or whatever like it kind of came up through this anonymous person named Satoshi and so essentially what it is is it allows anonymity and it allows instant it cuts out the middleman of using mm-hmm. money of banking right and so crypto can be used yes for advertising sites um and then crypto can also be used um excuse me blockchain technology can also be used for something called nfts which is non-fungible tokens so mm-hmm. non-fungible tokens is basically a digital stamp of ownership um online uh and it's backed on the blockchain which is backed by many different servers um and so you can't once it's done it's done and that's another benefit of crypto too like 
once it's sent, it's sent. There is no getting it back, you know, <laughs> there's no, so that can have benefits and dangers. Um, but one of the biggest benefits is there's no chargebacks. And so a lot of these um, credit card companies won't work with certain websites because mm. they're saying, oh, it's, it's, a, it's risky or, oh, there's a lot of chargebacks. And so using crypto can be a solution to that because there is no, it's zero chargebacks um, because once it's sent, it's sent and there's no getting it back. So some platforms that use NFTs right now actually are like content creators. And so there's two different people I interviewed on my podcast. One is called Privy Cam, which is a protect your nudes website. So it's like an anti-screenshot platform where you can mint your nudes, um, which is pretty cool if you think about it, considering revenge porn and all these different components of people sharing um, photos and using it as revenge for other people. Um, and then the other one is called Mint Stars, which allows you to mint um, your 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 spicy content on the blockchain. And what that does is it um, is a direct reaction to uh, piracy of people stealing videos and people taking um, content and using it on tube sites, right? And so when you have a decentralized ledger and you have something minted on on um, the blockchain, it's directly fighting this. And so I hope that I hope that wasn't too <laughs> confusing no, for anyone listening. No, no, I under, you explained uh, it very well to me because now I was yeah. like, yeah, like I was confused, but. Uh, I'm fully understanding now. So yeah. So so crypto. So crypto NFTs and blockchain um, have a lot of practical uses. And like another use that people can use the blockchain for is like assault reporting and domestic abuse reporting oh. um, because it's a decentralized ledger. And so basically, it allows for privacy and anonymity around um, some of these things that can be high risk, right? And so there's a lot of applications for it. And something that I, I like to say is. It takes a lot of belief and trust in any new technology, especially around crypto. Mm-hmm. And so sex workers are ready to find other options other than these traditional banking options um, to keep themselves safe and to protect them. Um, and so this is really this is something like you can send crypto back and forth with clients anonymously. Um, so there's a lot of different benefits around using that tech for sex workers. Mm, okay that no no you're right about that and you made me just think of I remember when I first had to start going to the bitcoin machine like I think it was like 2016 and yeah I had I had to figure that out way before and now it makes sense why everything because of FOSTA SESTA the chargebacks and everything else because these platforms are just they're getting impossible. It's getting impossible for people to work. I don't know how, and even strip clubs now are just totally different. They're not, they're not the same anymore. Child, yeah. Yeah. Times are just it, it, way different, way, way different. Um, I do have to say, I love the fact with Thought Leader, your podcast, you have had um, a variety of different type of uh, sex workers, like different uh, you had Joanna Angel, you mm-hmm. had uh, Connie, um, what's her name? Uh, Connie Perion? Yeah. Yes, Perry. Yes, her. And yeah. then you had N- Natasha, who I've had on before. Uh, she's nice. a joy to interview. Um, and I love the way you have that different variety of different guests like that. Yeah, you know, I like yourself. I like to bring on guests that are very informative mm-hmm. uh, and are very tuned in with 
sex positivity and navigating the sex industry. And so it was really amazing interviewing Joanna Angel. I interviewed her around this conversation around Kanye West and how he was so sex negative and did this complete 180 from um, hosting the Pornhub Awards to like talking about how porn is you know one of the work is what damaged himself and his family and things like that and so um that was an awesome conversation with joanna and then with natasia and connie we got into many things around like the hierarchy racism in the industry um banking discrimination getting their accounts deleted and so people really need to understand how not only innovative uh sex workers are but how resilient they are and so i interviewed porn stars essentially um Mm -hmm. who i think navigate many different components of sex work especially online especially now um and also like depending on what generation you're in like for example joanna angel you know she started off when it was like vhs's and dvds and like seeing that progression through um the digital aspects of that and then you know now she's on instagram and so you know the the journey of navigating that and then you have these uh new wave uh porn stars like Connie Perion, you know, who got into the industry a few years ago and already had this digital footprint and now she's getting into getting into doing porn. Um, and so I love to interview my friends and people that I know very well. Uh, and so interviewing a porn star is always fun because we we have fun conversations around sex and navigating that, but also kind of backing it with this like informative, um, this informative conversation, because it's important to, again, the point of my podcast is to destigmatize conversations. And so people just have this vision of like what a porn star is. Um, And so by destigmatizing and demystifying, you know, the back end of these conversations is super, super important to me. Yeah, no, you did a good job with those episodes. Speaking of the, um, Ho, was it high hierarchy? Yeah, hierarchy. Yeah. Let's talk about that because I've always felt like it's been problematic. My thoughts have always been: once you get into sex work, I don't care what you do. To me, I feel like you're under this umbrella. You are as equal. Like I feel like I am as equal with somebody that is walking the track. I and and a lot I have seen through the past couple years, a lot of people that never would imagine they were in sex work just jump in. Um, and do all kinds of things that are kind of, uh, I'm like, whoa, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's a lot of people that they left square jobs for whatever reason. And, you know, they don't yet have it. And but they have like this entitlement. Well, I'm not doing this. Or, you know, I only have an OnlyFans, but I'm not, you know, it's really been a problem, I feel like. Um, and how do we stop this whole hierarchy um, yeah. altogether? Yeah, so hierarchy, you know, is like a play on hierarchy, right? This yeah. conversation of like, like you said, who's the who is the most moralistic? Who's the you know the the most um, justified kind of sex worker, right? Mm-hmm. And so this goes back to that conversation of like choice, coercion, circumstance, right? So we're really tapping into this conversation of circumstance versus choice, um, and the, the women who choose sex work feel that they are better than the ones who are navigating it because of circumstance. And so breaking the hierarchy down, in theory, basically the people at the top of the hierarchy are the people who don't have sex with their clients. Okay. So they're saying, oh, well, I'm a stripper. I don't have sex with my clients. So I'm better than someone who is an escort and has sex with their clients. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's this conversation of like using basically like concepts like the patriarchy and what other 
people who are not in the industry judge off of what is justified to do sex work. And so it's really fucked up and it's actually quite dangerous. Um, and it's, and it's really unfortunate and sad how people, you know, attack each other and, and make one sex type of sex work seem better than the other. It's really, really unfortunate. Um, but it happens all the time. And so it's kind of like, you know, that conversation of like, well, I'm a sugar baby, you know, I, I have relation. I have a relationship with my my person I'm dating oh, uh, versus someone saying, "Oh, I'm someone who charges by the hour and and you know has um a, a business behind it." Right. So that's like a kind of clear example of the hierarchy, kind of like justifying you how your work is more realistically better than someone else in the sex industry because you do something different. And you know, um, what's really important to understand is that we're all in this together. Yeah, no, they're all in this together. It goes back to that kind of privileged sex worker conversation of like, who isn't, you know, who's, who's privileged. And it's like, you know, this like, well, I'm an OnlyFans performer. I don't, I don't do any in-person work. So I'm better than someone who does do in-person work. And it's not, that's not a given across everybody. That's not like it's, um, um, every single person thinks this, right. It's just, it's just certain people. Yeah. Yeah. I just wish there was more education for the new sex workers coming in so they could learn and navigate like the way I was when I first started a long, long time ago, I remember the, there was some older strippers and they sat down and they taught me certain things and I listened and I took advice. And now I just feel like uh, people are coming in doing their own thing, which good, go ahead, do it. But they're stepping on other people's toes. They're putting you, uh, one time I was in a group and I couldn't believe this in a, a group on Telegram and it was like an OnlyFans group and the woman who was the head of the group, she said, I want to start helping trafficking victims. And I was the only mm-hmm. one that spoke up and I'm like, yeah. and then I spoke up. I'm like, listen, do you know what those trafficking groups are doing? Are you aware of? And mm-hmm. instead of reaching out to me or saying anything, other people reached out and they they knew they were like, oh, you've been around. I go, yeah, you know, you know what I'm saying? But uh, she she had this image that, well, these are sex trafficking groups. They're going to help. I'm going to donate. I'm, and she doesn't realize eventually they're trying to shut everything down. Yeah. And, and there are they are very far and few in between of of organizations that fight sex trafficking mm-hmm. um and it's not there's um oh shoot did my headphones die can you hear me yeah i hear you you're fine you're perfect okay um my headphones might die i might take them out but that's <laughs> fine so um you know and we saw this kind of example like you said with only fans right so yeah during COVID, there was this massive onboarding of people on to OnlyFans for many reasons, mainly being people couldn't see each other in person, right? And people were without jobs and resources. And they were saying, hey, like, what resource do I have? I have my body. I can use my body to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what you had was this major onboarding of, of quote unquote, sex workers who had never done sex work before. Um, and they then all of a sudden believed that they were better than people who did in-person work. And again, this conversation that in-person work is coercion um, and that these women aren't choosing it because how on earth would they ever choose to do in-person work and how could they ever, you know, want that for themselves? And so a way, um, something that sex trafficking, fighting sex trafficking groups do is they get police involved and they get the courts involved. And that is very dangerous for people who are doing consensual sex work. Um, and so it's really important that before you, um, before you support any 
sex trafficking group that you really do your research on what's actually happening, who's in charge, uh, where is the money going, you know, things of that nature and making sure it's not fear mongering, making sure it's not just one or two people who are expressing their disdain for sex work um, and conflating it with consensual sex work. Yeah. Mm, and ask around older. I think the best thing to do yeah. is ask an old, ask somebody who's been in sex work for a longer period of time for guidance or anything, you know, quite, don't be afraid if you're a, a new sex worker to reach out to somebody. Cause I always share if somebody comes to me and wants to know something or a situation, I always share what, but what I have found, which was very weird after 2020 hit, I, I came across a lot of new sex workers that all of a sudden they know way more than me. And I was done discount. <laughs> like they knew more than me. They knew everything. They knew how to do things, but they knew more. But, you know, in my day, when I started back in 1995, <laughs> so long ago, like I was a baby stripper. I remember I was like, I started actually when I was 17. Um, but right when I was 18, I had a kid young, but um, I listened to whoever the oldest stripper was that was making the most money for their guidance and, I learned, you know what I mean? I listened, I respect them. I respected my elders and that's what guided me, you know? And and there's these, now it's unfortunate. These, they weren't house moms, but I don't know. I just don't see people like recognizing older sex workers anymore, you know, guiding them saying, Hey, you know what I'm saying? Like teaching them little things like I, you know what I mean? Little things to guidance. Like once he, once it's a client, it's always a client. You know what I'm saying? Little stuff like that can go a long way uh, for guidance. You, you yeah. know what I mean? We don't date. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, these digital, in these digital spaces, you know, there's a lot more surveillance in digital spaces than oh. we've had before. I think that kind of impacts it. Like I, I've had, because I'm a sex worker activist, you know, I've had people reach out to me online and say things. And I'm like, well, I can't respond to that online. Uh, mm. And so this is also why having these in-person events and conversations is something that's really important so that we can share information, you know, privately. I'll never forget like back, back in the day when we actually could meet each other off of Twitter and things like that, we had this um, huge uh, sex worker picnic. And I'll never forget it because one person was like, okay, I have a question. Have you guys encountered this one client? And his name was Joey and he's now arrested. <gasps> oh, um, the famous was... Joey. Yes. Yeah, yep. yeah. And so, and so, yeah. And so, I mean, I, it makes me want to cry. I know people who were deeply impacted by that. Um, and one person brought it up and next thing you know, everyone's ta- everyone's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, wow. I encountered this person. And part of these, like a red flag would be if someone offers you more than your rate to come and meet them for an out call. That's a huge red flag because why would they be offering you more than what you said your rate was, right? And yes. so that, that's kind of, that kind of information is, is priceless um, that you might not know if you're getting into it. And now we have so many people who are grooming these, these sex workers like on TikTok and on Instagram. Oh, I Hate saying, that. Yeah. Saying, oh my God. Yeah. You can make money doing this. You can make money doing that. And then you have people entering sex work, um, really just not knowing a lot, feeling isolated because of the stigma. Um, they don't want to share, you know, with other people what's going on. Um, is 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 really scary. It's quite dangerous, you know. So I um and reading those I, articles, yeah. those articles to me were very um because I remember I I 
I got an article because my daughter is going to law school, but they asked me my income and I, I downplayed it because I did not want my income at all out there. Because to me, like announcing the income is something very private, very personal, and it's my money, my bills. You get what I'm saying? And um, they did post whatever I quoted, but I've seen articles where women are saying I made a hundred thousand, I made two fifty, but they're not sharing the full story with it. And not everybody Ooh. is. Yeah. It's it. It's I. I forgot. I was telling somebody. I go. The thing with OnlyFans, I see it phasing out. It really is phasing out. And unless you have like a brand, you have to have a strong brand to have that, you know, but you have to be careful with some of these articles because they're not telling you the full truth. They're not explaining the work that they do. They're not talking, you know, some of these women are not talking about how much they invest every month to get that. And is it a practical business to invest that crazy amount of money? So it's people have to be careful what they read on the Internet. Oh yeah, you know, you have these major outliers, you know, basically on OnlyFans, I think the 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 statistic is that 10% of OnlyFans makes the top 10% of OnlyFans makes 70% of the money and like the top 30% makes like the rest of the money. And so most the average amount that uh, OnlyFans creators make is less than $500 a month. And people don't always realize that. Like they think, oh, I'm going to just make an OnlyFans and post a few photos and it's going to be great. When in reality, it takes a lot of, a lot of effort and energy behind it. And part of, you know, part of my sex worker activist journey is I organized the largest sex worker march in history. Um, and I, I organized that in 2020 because of mm. discrimination for Black Lives Matter for sex workers, right? Black trans workers were left out of the conversation. Um, Black sex workers were left out of the conversation when in reality, they were the most impacted by um, COVID. Um, and so or one of the groups that are the most impacted by COVID. And Mm -hmm. one of the things we fought for was to stop discrimination online and to allow people to make money online. Um, And this is a a super layered conversation, but it kind of goes back to this, this conversation of, um, who needs resources, you know, how we navigate making money um, and, um having resources like housing having resources like education having resources mm-hmm. like medical care um and this is something that is really important to talk about because it it goes back to this like reporting your money and you know what's actually real and a lot of people get discriminated against um yeah. for many reasons and they don't they don't realize that before they enter the industry um and so that's something that like is is important especially if you're choosing to do this work um that you can face a lot of a lot of barriers um that you oh, don't yeah. initially realize yeah 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 cuz i it's a lot uh, through the years because i've been in it so long i've never been able to get like an ordinary just nine to five job I you know there was period of time when my kids were growing up I didn't even share with the babysitters um I one time I had a babysitter that was purposely this is when I lived in Vegas she would I didn't like what she did at all and I took my kid out of there but she was pointing to certain kids going their mom's an escort so I get this amount from this mom their mom's a stripper yeah so people don't talk about like the reason I never like to tell people I was a sex worker not because I'm not ashamed but I didn't like when people try charging you more because of what you do I didn't like that at all like I was so I always kept my business to myself not because I was ashamed but because I didn't feel like my children to be dragged into it 
And oh, a hundred percent. And it's yeah. and it's and it's a safety issue. It's a right. safety issue. Um, yeah. which is why we need to destigmatize sex work. We need to decriminalize sex work. Uh that's a major fight that I'm involved in, gone to Albany, lobbied for it. I'm very active within decrim and why. Well, actually not as active as I'd like to be. Um, mm-hmm. but I am, you know, involved in it. And this is why we fight for decriminalization to take away some of these criminal aspects around um being a sex worker. And so one of those is housing discrimination, right? Like if some mm, if someone yeah. finds out that you're a sex worker, um, they might not renew your lease. They might not even allow you to live there um and also like your children they might want to take your children away and so by decriminalizing sex work what we're doing is taking away these criminalized components of sex work and this is an important distinction against legalization because we do not want legalization that is not what we want um legalization requires more in police involvement around regulation that is not what we want at all uh, and we've seen some really detrimental like one of the the an example that we have here in the u.s is um nevada right um and how we've seen this legalization of sex work lead to a lot of harm for a lot of the people who would traditionally want to enter sex work for many different reasons immigrants um mental mental health disabilities things like that are actively blocked out of doing legal sex work so we want decriminalization um and part of this is because kind of like the issue you said i don't want to share with my um with my healthcare providers and my daycare providers or even my my housing um in fear that you're going to be retaliated against um and so that's something that we i even uh, even at one time, I this is a lo- again a long time ago. I could tell stories for days of what's happened to me. Um, I moved into one apartment at the time I was dancing. This is this isn't even in New York. Um, this is when I lived in Florida. They knew where I worked, and I remember I got robbed cash. Yep. So from the apartment because my door was locked, everything was locked. So the only person that could come in had the key, and so that's. That's another you thing. Can't, that's, and you yeah. can't call the police, right? You can't call yeah. the police. You can't do anything. because They're going to go, well, you know, and, and, we've off, and we've also seen this within stings, right? And so yeah. um, part of the conversation during Black Lives Matter and during my sex worker march was um, someone, her name was Yang Song, and she was um, basically blackmailed by police. Um, it's actually a really, really sad story. She was blackmailed by police. Uh, they found out, you know, which they knew which massage parlor she worked at and they raided the massage parlor and doing the, during this process, uh, one, they took everyone's money. Mm. They took everyone's money and they just take your cash. And then two, unfortunately she was pushed over a balcony and, and died and, and <gasps> murdered essentially. By oh, the I remember. Yeah. And so this is an example of like targeting sex workers and knowing that they have all this cash on them knowing that these they have um you know because they don't have banks for example you can't put all your money in a bank so you you have these immigrant women who are putting their money underneath their mattresses and you know and stashing their cash places um which is which is really dangerous because you become a target to someone who knows that that's something that you yeah. have oh because I of ha- the fact that you can't go to it you can't deposit all that money into a bank um, because of discrimination and because of the fact that sex work is illegal. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, certain, certain, certain types of sex work. Um, right. One, one friend of mine was in a raid and she had money orders. And one of the money orders was addressed to her apartment building yeah. and they took it. They just yeah. took it. And they said it was for her apartment. In fact, she, she got arrested. She didn't, it wasn't, she didn't even get arrested where she lived. 
they took, she had a series of money orders, which were going to be for bills and even had it written out to her landlord and they just took it and they refused. And I forgot what happened with that case, but I was like, they took the money order with your rent. She goes, yeah. And they took the rest of them. They just, they just take, they just take it. There's no, and there's no recourse, no recourse at all. Yeah. And then I think it's unfortunate. And what was crazy about that, she, she didn't even no, she was, she was in a raid. She was not charged. So she was just innocently there and they just took her stuff. Like it was so messed yep. up. So yep. that's the type of stuff that they do. And it's, it's, well, I just want to thank you so much for being an activist and also for coming on. I really, what are your plans for the future that uh, you as an activist? Yes. Yeah. So that's a, that's a beautiful question. Um, mm-hmm. A question I always like to ask my guests as well as what's, what's going on? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? What do you want to do uh, in the future? And so essentially um, right now I have, um, goodness, my, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. I hear you perfectly. Don't worry. Sorry. My, my headphones, sorry for those listening. My headphones. <laughs> um, I, um, right now I, I'm working on my podcast. Um, I also have different events that I host, like the No Sex Sex Party um, and different um, panels and mixers. I do that. So if you're in New York City, stay tuned with me about the events that I have. Um, And I'm also planning a conference in 2025 um, around sex and technology here in New York City. And so that's a big project I'm working on. And, you know, my activism now, I've, I've faced a lot of it, like, messed up we didn't even get into it messed up shit with being an activist and so i've kind of leaned a little bit away from being a a face a public face of sex work decriminalization um but something that i'm very adamant on is including sex workers in every conversation i have every event that i have because i believe that they are leading um they are true thought leaders leading innovation and so something that i have um planned for the 2025 conference is really including sex workers in the conversation around technology and culture so sometimes you got to like you know work on be an activist from the back you know from the behind behind the scenes so right. that's what i have planned for the future um and i'm excited yeah that's just what i'm working on good well thank you could you yeah. please let my audience know how they could find you yeah so you can find me everywhere at s x n o you can find me mm-hmm. everywhere at i'm like how do i spell my name mm-hmm. uh you can find me everywhere at s x n o i r dot com um you can find me on instagram at s x noir um you can find me on substack at s x noir dot com uh you can find me everywhere and my podcast is called thought leader t h o t l e a d e r um everywhere that podcasts are streamed um and also on youtube Great. Well, thank you so much. My name is Marcella Alonso. You can find me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Marcella Sobella. If you'd like to see this episode, go to MarcellaSobella.com. Thank you so much for coming on Get Schooled. Thank you so much, Angel.